And welcome back, Founding Losers. It is your Patreon exclusive, all right? We promised you a part two on 1812. We said we'd get it done as soon as possible. And here we are, good to our word. It is 9.30 in the morning, okay? A very early morning here at a Shared Universe podcast studio. The uh, wonderful and talented Chris Madd decided to join us again, too. Chris, thank you so much for coming back in. I love being here. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of it. Nah, dude, you were for the. Uh, we're here for consistency because as much as we love the Kahuna, the Kahuna is going to be like, "Hang on, what?" So you tell me that we invaded Canada, <laughs> yeah. and we're going to have to break it down for. It. And I love that boy, but uh, we didn't have time for it because the listeners already heard the episode. This is Patreon exclusive. We got to cater to the people. By the way, if you have not sent me your address already, go ahead and do that. Before Christmas, I want to get your merch in the mail. I got a bunch of addresses. We got, I'll tell you guys what we have available right now. We have American Loser stickers that we had made, which I'm going to send you guys a bunch of them. Do me a favor. You got a favorite bar or something like that? Go ahead and <laughs> slap it on the fridge when they're not looking. Put it up in the bathroom wall. Do whatever you got to do. Put some stickers together as well. And things are moving forward slowly due to COVID, but it is an American business that's going to be working with us for our Founding Losers only, the Founding Loser exclusive. Um, piece of merchandise that uh, you were t- have taken the lead on, my dope of a dad, Larry Burke. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're good. We're good. It's coming along. I'm excited about that real quickly. And I do want to say American history runs so deeply through my veins, Dad, that I refer to my morning dump. Uh, some call it as a, a morning constitutional. <laughs> That's right. I refer to it as a preamble. <laughs> so. <laughs> And let me tell you, the good people over to Share Universe Podcast Studio, where Mike and Ming are always taking excellent care of us. Um, of course, there's always something going on in this building, whether it be construction, some sort of work or whatever. And of course, the one day that the elevators are working today, I rush upstairs and uh, I got to take, um, I, I had my cold brew from Dunkin' Donuts, which by the way, costs less than $5. So for just pennies more, you can join this very Patreon, guys. So tell your friends about it. Ooh, <laughs> it's it's going to last, yeah. it'll uh, last a lot longer than uh, the cold brew. And the best part is we do not um, just, the, the, the podcast is not half filled with ice that we're then charging you the full <laughs> amount for, okay? In fact, you're getting a second part of the 1812 war here today, uh, just as a bonus, because we wanted to do right by you guys, because we love the founding losers, do we not? Absolutely, absolutely. 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 But if we ever decide to take on a war as one episode, we quickly realize that uh, you can't do three years of American history that encompassed a war in uh, yeah. one segment. So I was under the go, assumption that it was going to be one year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the crazy part. We... Um, I did this podcast in order to avoid writing a book, and guess what? I had to just fucking pretty much write a book. So, um, but I, I came away with a great amount of knowledge here, and I will say this. My morning constitutional uh, at a Shared Universe podcast studio, just before we get into the, 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 the meat and bones of uh, finishing up this episode here today, Dad, um, at the fifth floor, the cleaning guy's in there right now. So I have a complex. I can't go to the bathroom while someone else is in there, right? So... Um, I think it's probably my military background. I've just I've had to take dumps with too many people, you know, in, in plain view. <laughs> yeah, you don't um, need an audience. Right? Yeah, I'm I'm done with that. Too many field exercises and whatnot. But uh, the point being, uh, the morning constitutional I took uh, is now the fourth floor's problem. Okay. <laughs> I <read it. laughs> yeah. But uh, hopefully my, the cleaning crew is starting at the top and working its way down. Oh, so. I hope so. <laughs> 
Well, I'll say this too, just to set up a couple of things here real quickly. So if you guys didn't listen to part one of the War of 1812, absolutely fascinating. It's it's almost a tale of two parts here. So we'll do a little bit of a brief, brief recap. But Lawrence Patrick Burke, you had a couple of things you wanted to throw out there real quick that we found that maybe we were supposed to hit in the first episode or maybe things that we learned upon further uh, research. So let me set you up for success and dilf it away, dilf it away, dilf it away now. <laughs> All right, well... A couple of different things that uh, we happened upon here. Um, one of the guys that um, that was on the British side. Now, when we say British, we're talking about the Canadians because Canada was still part of the British Empire. Even though they call themselves Americans, as we've explained. Yeah, it's very was, confusing times. A little confusing there, too. So they're calling themselves Americans initially, but then uh, we had to make that um, um, line of separation once... Uh, you, you need the British colonies in the Americas fought against the British, won their independence. We called that the American Revolution or America's War for Independence. Um, and there was a guy that um, was initially from one of the British colonies that later became the United States that then moved up to Canada as a lot of the other Tories from the Revolution. But um, he is made governor of uh, Lower Canada, and Governor Sir George Prevost. Uh, he becomes, uh, you know, a, a political guy, but he's also a military guy. Um, but uh, what was interesting is, hey, uh, he was from or born in New Barbados Township. New Barbados. Hang on, Barbados. That's uh, that's like where Rihanna's from, right? Uh, so yeah, but this is New Barbados Township that we now call. Hackensack, New Jersey. Whoa. <laughs> there's your there's your Jersey connection. The center with, of the uh, universe remains with, New Jersey. Right, with Mr. Uh, Governor Sir George Prevost. Um, there was uh, many uh, what we would call Tories during the American Revolution that at the conclusion of the war then moved up to Canada to escape the uh, the U.S. You know, because you know, they weren't real popular people once the, the Americans won their independence from from Britain. Um, it's called voting was, with your feet. There was many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and then there was uh, a couple other people that uh, I'd like to just point out real quick. We already covered the Battle of Queenstown Heights. Now, that was that was one where um, the American forces again, once again tried to invade Canada to take over Canada as a strike against the British uh, Empire. Um, and there's a guy who was leading those forces by the name of Stephen von Rensselaer. Now, von Rensselaer was Uh-oh. a was a very uh, stout um, Dutch reformist, uh, politico educator. Um, they made him in charge of the New York militia, um, but he really wasn't a military guy. That was became quite obvious at the Battle of Queenstown Heights. But, uh, Where he was going against Sir Isaac Brock, who's, uh, as we covered, one of the, a British-Canadian hero, if you will, that is uh, very well still celebrated in England and honored also by the American forces that they were like, this guy was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, but what I found was that was uh, <clears throat> really interesting was that he was given that position to lead that attack onto, uh, uh, onto Canada at the Battle of Queenstown Heights that actually he was uh, asked by Madison and the governor of New York. Again, now this guy is in charge of the militia of New York, but he doesn't have any really uh, military background. So uh, Madison, 
President Madison and the governor of New York, who are both Democratic Republicans, are asking this guy, uh, Mr. Stephen von Rensselaer, who happens to be a Federalist. So he's from the opposing party. He's also running for a New York political position. So they devise or con conceived this scheme where, well, we'll have uh, von Rensselaer lead the forces, and if he refuses, then we can portray him in his political campaign for the next as political office as a coward. But who really is von Rensselaer? <laughs> Uh, you know, and if he and if he uh, does accept, well, he maybe not be the best guy for the job, but at least you know it's going to be politically damaging for him, whether he says yes or whether he says no. So um, I th it was just interesting how you know it was Mr. Madison's war that he's um, really pushing for the fight against the British so they can go and invade Canada, and then they appoint this guy who is a political appointee, if you will. And he is already known as not the best military mind. Um, but Mr. Von Rensselaer, when you start scratching at him a little bit, uh, Rensselaer, have you ever heard of that one before, Kev? Uh, I, I have a friend that uh, drunkenly removed himself from uh, the academic <laughs> premises. Yeah, well, this is the guy that was really responsible for those academic premises. Uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute um, was later... Um, went on to become you know, a thing because of Mr. Stephen von Rensselaer. He was also uh, um, one of the top 10 richest guys in U.S. history. Wow. So that, that's saying something. He had a few bucks. He, he had, and of course with bucks becomes influence. Uh, he had a net worth, it's estimated his net worth in modern day money would probably be around $100 billion. Jeez. So he's he's got some coin. He's got some coin. Just a little bit of back cash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a few money for sure. Yeah, he's not sweating where the next meal's coming from. Right, but uh, I mean, he did go on to do some great things after the war. Although the the Battle of Queenstown Heights was a complete freaking disaster, except for one particular part where we were okay. able to. Uh, an American rifleman, which, by the way, that was the whole thing, was the British troops were always better trained, and the American militia wasn't really that great, and even the American regulars weren't that great, but all Americans are great shots because you had to be a great shot. You were shooting by the time you were six years old when growing up in this time frame. Yeah, especially if you're on the frontier. If you're on the frontier, you're, you're shooting to survive. Oh, yeah, that's because Dad might get dropped by the Indians, and you got to protect Mom and your sisters. <laughs> right. So um, it, it's it definitely because of that that one of these American riflemen uh, they're able to kill Sir Isaac Brock, which is, I mean, that completely one of the game changers of the early part of the war. Absolutely. So America's was, not doing great here no. at this point. That cursed no. red sash, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> throwback. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for that throwback, Chris. That's, that's great. Uh, the other little thing that I, the other little tidbit that I came upon is that, um, you know, we already spoke about um, the Americans did go into uh, York at the Battle of York and burnt their uh, parliament building what early is, on in the war. Just for those listening at home, uh, York, known as what major city now, Lawrence Patrick? Uh, that would be Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we, you've heard of that one too, right? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, the, the one up north? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. New Toronto, right? That's a, well, uh, oddly enough as well, there's a, a, a powder keg explosion that goes on up there. Am I giving away what you're no, going to talk about? No, that's exactly what, what, how this is going to end for this next guy that oh, perfect. I'd like to introduce. Hit me. Um, so um, there's a lot of uh, people that are recruited out of New Jersey into the regular army, although the regular army at that point was 
pretty much a joke. They weren't much better. Some even felt that they were less than uh, the militia, which weren't noted for their strong military uh, bearing, if you will. But uh, there's a 15th U.S. Infantry uh, Regiment known as the New Jersey Regiment because the vast majority of people that formed that uh, regiment within the regular U.S. Army came from New Jersey. And it's commanded by one colonel, or colonel at the time, later to become brigadier general, uh, Zebulon Montgomery Pike. Zebulon, quite the name here. Yeah, but have you ever heard of Pike's Peak out in Colorado? Holy shit, really? Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, absolutely. So that same, that same Pike, um, prior to the War of 1812, was sent out west um, to the Colorado area by President Jefferson because they are going to buy the Louisiana Purchase, and they don't really know what the hell they got out there. <laughs> so um, Pike is uh, uh, sent out just as Lewis and Clark were sent out to do a, a kind of a discovery kind of a thing. Well, let's, let's find out what the hell we just bought sight unseen. Uh, so they sent Pike out to uh, Colorado. He never made it to the top of Pike's Peak because when you're trying to walk to the top of Pike's Peak with waist-deep snow and below zero uh, temperatures, uh, things kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah, but, once your uh, hiking partner starts to look tasty, it's time to turn back. <laughs> you're right. But uh, you, you're, Pike, uh, although he was the um, Pike's Peak, Colorado is named after him, um, he is killed at the Battle of York in that in that explosion. So he's taken out at the Battle of York. So they burn the uh, the Parliament building in York, later to become York, later become uh, Toronto. And uh, Mr. Zebulon Montgomery Pike, where is he from? Bedminster, New Jersey. God damn. <laughs> so another another Jerseyite. Um, Some, what I always like too is when we don't have to do because there are times Pat Dowden a good friend of the show and an extremely talented artist who's uh, done up some great work for us uh, over the past he's actually going to help us out with some merch too he pointed out just jokingly he goes sometimes you guys have to shoehorn in Jersey not this time not this time sorry this is Jersey's right in the thick of it on this nope don't you think that uh, Hackensack would have a better tourism thing if it was called New Barbados still just (laughs) right right, just put that out there on accident somebody's showing up with a towel and a you know beach wear and he's like (laughs) right right. you could fool people to fly into Newark airport because we're going to go to New Barbados baby more people would show up for (laughs) more Bergen County residents would show up for their court dates if they found out it was part there you you go a little inside baseball for the good people of Jersey but county uh, county courthouse Hackensack New Jersey. Hit me with anything else you got here. No, that's, I want to uh, dive let's, into let's, her. Uh, let's roll, baby. Let's roll. <laughs> excellent, this. excellent, folks. So, all right. So we're uh, less than fifteen minutes here. We've done. Uh, um, <laughs> we, no, no, we're good to go. We're, we're I'm excited about this. Right. We're going to do uh, our, our very brief recap here as we're getting back into the thing. Uh, do want to say again, thank you so much to the, uh, the the Patreon members, the founding losers. You guys are the reason why the show is free on Tuesdays for everybody else. So if you ever bump into anyone else that's uh enjoying American Loser, you make sure to let them know you are a plank owner, okay? Plank ownership, going back to my military days. You guys are the reasons why this thing happens. So thank you so much for that. This is not going to count, by the way, as your December episode for Patreon. We're going to give you guys the right thing here. We're going to do right by you because we love you. This is the second part of the November episode. We just haven't been releasing it late due to the holidays. But as last we left off, folks. So that's like getting another 
cold brew large Dunkin' Donuts coffee yeah, it's, uh, for the price of one. Yeah, so you get the order. <laughs> really? of, essentially, yeah. Chris, I'll break it down this way. You're essentially getting the order of the guy behind you because they forgot to, you know, that they screwed up. So they're giving you, the guy behind you's order. But you're already on the highway now at this point. That's their fucking problem. He's not getting that. No. That's, this is paying a, it forward, paying it backward, whatever, whatever, whatever you might want to call it. Much like taking go. a dump on the fourth floor and then walking up two flights of stairs. <laughs> so last we left off on this wild and confusing saga that is the War of 1812. And by the way, folks, the the founding losers pushed us dead. We learned on this one. Okay. Oh man. We like to illuminate ourselves sometimes on topics we kind of knew a little bit about already. But holy hell, did we learn a lot yeah, on this one? When you start scratching at this one, you uh, come up with a whole lot of oh shit moments. Well, the Americans are finally starting to seem to have a few things going their way after getting humiliated by Sir Isaac Brock and scared shitless and outsmarted by the legendary Shawnee war chief Tecumseh. The Americans finally seem to have a few things. At least there's some optimism now. Finally. Brock has been killed in battle, as has uh, Tecumseh, and uh, those two crushing blows to the boots on the ground in the North American campaign for the British Canadians, if you will. Tecumseh is killed at the Battle of Thames in fighting against future president William Henry Harrison. A lot of future presidents coming in here today, especially yeah, in the second of- half of this bad boy. So, um, The battle takes place uh, after the British leave Detroit on their own accord. Uh, why did they suddenly no longer want to keep a fort that they had won without firing a single shot? So we ended the last episode with Detroit is now back in the hands of the Americans here. But why is it that the British would leave a fort that they took, again, without, I mean, it it was a complete and total victory, absolute humiliation for the Americans. So we have to introduce a quick character, all right? Um, Now, Chris, you're a very creative guy, right? Very talented musician. And you're about to watch um, a, uh, a, a marathon of Star Wars movies, which has a litany of quality character names, such as Han Solo and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there's, there's going to be some, some badass names here. I challenge you to find a better name than this next guy. Is it not Zebulon? <laughs> Come on. Zebulon will be Zeb. the name of my child. <laughs> Zeb is a pretty good handle. Oh, man. It's... Uh, <laughs> Well, by the outbreak of uh, the War of 1812, all of the Great Lakes were held by the British, uh, the British Navy being the best in the world, minus Lake Huron, the Americans were able to hold Lake Champlain. So we're going to enter this character now for the Americans. And this is a guy that is uh, absolutely worth the lionization of uh, the American press that he eventually gets. He is, as a Navy guy, uh, I get a little bit of pride here talking about this badass motherfucker. And uh, his name is none other than Oliver Hazard Perry. Yes, ladies, Hazard is his middle name. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, Oliver Hazard Perry. Wow. That's a good one, right? Challenge that as you go through the uh, the, the, the George Lucas um, uh, you know encyclopedia of names. I've already dropped my panties. I don't know how much further we go. <laughs> Hazard's my, your middle, wow. Yeah. Oh. Oh, it's it's essentially picture Sean Connery playing. We would normally do a, a segment called Casting Couch with the Kahuna, and I would I would usurp whatever weird esoteric pick Kahuna would have, and I would say no. Oliver Hazard Perry is Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Perry is a born American from the great state of Rhode Island, uh, where we don't have a ton of listeners. Get on your fucking shit, Rhode Island. All right, get it together, <laughs> yeah. folks. You're little, but you're still powerful. Yeah, and a quick shout-out to Adelaide, Australia, where we have a huge following for some reason. So they love American history, I guess. It's, I'm into it, so if we ever get a chance to tour LP, it's going to be Adelaide, Australia. But uh, we're making a name for ourselves, much like Perry was making a name for himself, having already served on board a little boat known as the USS Constitution, Dad. 
The Constitution. Old Ironsides, old for those Old Ironsides. The yep. oldest commission ship in the United States military. Great friend of mine, Sean Kershaw, who I served with on the USS Kearney, actually served on board that ship and said it is the most rewarding but challenging duty station of all time. Because they still get that boat underway every now and then. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. And as a kid, I remember being on board there and being like, this is the coolest shit ever. Little did you know, one little family vacation, you know, uh, and then 15 years afterwards, the boy's going to join the Navy because <laughs> yeah. of it. So, See what we do to the child. Yeah. <laughs> See if you had taken me to Mexico or something like there everybody else, I would just be a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> really made some money. But he had uh, fought in the first Barbary War, which we covered on an earlier episode, too, which is uh, us fighting the Barbary pirates. Uh, again, fighting against tolls, and then we install Easy Pass. It is what it is. Hey, I just got to throw a little nugget out there. It, all, the Constitution, the USS Constitution, got its nickname Old Ironsides because when it was in the battle with the British, the Constitution's hull was made out of white oak, which is an extremely strong, hard wood, and British cannonballs were actually bouncing off the hull where normally it would have been splintering the hull that uh, the British, it was actually the British commander who gave it the nickname, but like, well, holy crap, mm-hmm. that thing must be made of uh, Imagine iron. Imagine how terrifying that must be if your heavy artillery is literally bouncing off the enemy ship. <laughs> right. What do you do? Oh, oh yeah, it's, uh, we're definitely, the etch sketch is being shaken, and we're coming back to the drawing board here. <laughs> right. Um, it's interesting, though, because uh, Perry is a fascinating guy. Uh, he's an American sailor, but he, like many others, likes to study the greats. So the same way that Sir Isaac Brock liked to read uh, about the Greek generals and stuff like that, um, our boy Oliver Hazard Perry, he likes to read uh, and study the great master and commander, possibly the greatest of all time, uh, who happened to be a British admiral by, uh, admiral by the name of Lord Horatio Nelson. So another good name right yeah. there. So Perry is about to test his mettle in a whole new way at what would become known as the Battle of Lake Erie. Now, when you think of Navy engagements, right, at sea, typically is what we think of. Nope, this is a great lake that we're fighting over here. Right, and the ships more than likely were built surrounding the Great Lakes. Why the Great Lakes so important is because the best way of getting men and material and supplies is, again, by water. So if you're controlling the water, if you're controlling the seas or the lakes, you're controlling the whole situation. And uh, my graduation weekend out in uh, boot camp, we got to see, uh, I believe it was Lake Michigan. Um, in person, live, and it is, you get out there and you're like, this is, okay, I get it. This is similar to walking around uh, Belmar and just looking out and saying, I don't know what's on the other side of that, and I know I'm not getting there without a boat. (laughs) You can't see land from the other side. Uh, You know you're in a little little bigger body of water than you might think of as your typical lake. Yeah, when you can (laughs) surf a lake. They don't call it the Great Lakes because they're tiny. Exactly. (laughs) But what a beautiful patch of uh, the country that is out there, man. Um, so Perry's a badass dude here. Um, he's got a battle-tested guy, but now he's really in command over here on this thing in what's going to become known as the Battle of Lake Erie. Perry's going to lead nine American ships. And by the way, uh, you made a great point in our, uh, our little research beforehand here, Dad. He's got nine American ships, and he's going to take on, uh, I believe it's six British ships. So it sounds like Perry has the advantage. But size is going to be a big thing here. These aren't British, um, these aren't men of war ships. The Constitution is not able to suddenly show up in the Great Lakes. You're not able to airdrop via helicopter. (laughs) Right, right, right. So these are uh, going to be sloops. So it's a a slightly different thing here. But But for Perry, it's not the size of the man in the fight, but the size of the fight in the man. (laughs) So he's got got nine Joe (laughs) Pesci-esque. So it's, uh, it's very cool here. So um, anyway, point is, uh, as I want to break into the battle itself, it's fantastic here. A uh, little back note we have to say, though, undeniable, Britain has the world's finest navy at this time. P- 
Perry's flagship, meaning the ship that he's actually going to be on while he's commanding his little fleet, uh, is known as the Lawrence, which is named after his friend and mentor, James Lawrence, who had died in battle against the British Navy earlier in this very same war. Lawrence's dying words, don't give up the ship, are still, that's still in the modern U.S. Navy. There's still flags that say that all the time. That's still a motto. That was um, as a, a guy who worked in repair division on board my ship, damage control, don't give up the ship is the biggest thing here. That's the last thing you want to do. You do not give up the ship. And what a, a line that was. And these words are now immortalized forever. Now, it, obviously, we, in the modern sense, still recognize that. But the guy who really was one of the, the major um, wavers of the flag, legitimately, pun intended, um, is our boy Oliver Hazard Perry. He is going to fly uh, a battle flag over his ship, again, named the Lawrence, where the battle flag will read, don't give up the ship. And that's in honor of his friend. So it's like, uh, uh, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> you killed my friend. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> so he prepares his men against the six proper British warships. And so this battle is going to take place on September 10th, 1813. All right. Cannon will erupt and the battle is underway. At first, Perry's fortunes don't seem too great. It's going to seem like it's not going to go their way. His ship, the Lawrence, again, this important flagship with the don't give up the ship uh, flag flying over it, gets hit very, very badly and is rendered a defenseless wreck. So much so that uh, the British actually expect him to surrender. Uh, but our boy Oliver Hazard Perry honors his friend's dying words, and the battle flag of don't give up the ship is honored as well before uh, they do have to give the boat up, which is ironic, right? Mm -hmm. But they fire one final salvo from all the cannons over there before he gets his men into a rowboat, and his men row about a half a mile, I think it is, uh, under fire from the British in order to get him to the USS Niagara, where he then takes command of another ship. What? So, yes. Yeah, we're, we're Chris's reaction is accurate. This, <laughs> this blew we're, my mind reading it. So I was like, hang on, what? <laughs> we're changing ships. All right, you just blew that one out from under me. So I'll just jump into a rowboat, have my guys take me over to the next American ship. And hey, guess what? That's my new, that's my new uh, flagship. They were yeah. probably saying Hazard is his middle name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is uh, a real American hero. There, there's, the reason that there's no G.I. Joe made of him makes no sense to me. Um, but he winds up getting on board the Niagara, takes command, and goes straight. I'm not even kidding. Now then just takes the Niagara and goes straight into the enemy lines. Like, it, it's pretty much like, all right, cool, we got through the safety here. Let's get right back into it. So, badass dude. Um, now, as he's f taking this boat and going directly into the, uh, the British line and starts firing broadsides at them, the battle goes on for a few intense hours. The British Navy then has to do something it's never done before in the history of the British Navy. This is the British Navy, Dad, that has a British Empire vibe to it. Yep. That just beat, you know, is, is around this time frame beating Napoleon's army. Rule Britannia. Britannia rule the waves. Yeah, except here's a first in their history. They are surrendering. That's right. <laughs> Oliver Hazard Perry and his devil may care, I, I'm bringing <laughs> hell with me kind of a thing. Uh, it works out. The British are surrendering. Perry may have used the USS Niagara to win, but in a little sense of poetic justice, he forced the British uh, to offer their terms of surrender where he would then accept their surrender on board the now recaptured USS Lawrence. So we're going back to that defenseless wreck you guys just beat. I'm going to show you guys, all right, we're not giving up this ship. All right. So final count on this battle is 27 dead Americans, 96 wounded. British dead, 40, 94 wounded. This is considered a total victory for Perry. All the captured vessels were taken by the American Navy, which now, by the way, when you capture a functioning vessel, uh, you now have six new 
watercraft, if you will. Right. Six new vessels are now in the American arsenal because we took them from you, motherfuckers. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Plus their cannon. Hey, all we gotta do is change a flag. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> and by the way <laughs> And by the way, to our listeners over in the UK, of which we have uh, plenty, uh, we love you guys over there too, and we wanna make sure to point out one thing. Um, the reason why this victory is so important for us is because this is essentially the Jets getting uh, a, a, a win over the Patriots, okay? You guys are the best there is. Finally. So that, that's why, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an exciting moment for them. Uh, so the British Navy, greatest in the world. And by the way, we stole everything from them for our, our Navy, literally. Yep. Uniforms. This, we'll take this. Right. We'll take one of these. Oh, yeah. It's, we'll take it, all of those. Just, just their rules and regulations and the way things were done. I mean, you're going to cop. If you're, if you're the best Navy in the world, who are you going to, who are you going to try to uh, emulate? Who are you going to try to copy? You're not wrong. <laughs> right. a- why, why go with a loser? Go with a winner. But, uh, now the student has been able to overtake the, the teacher, if you will. And, uh, and that, we owe that, a lot of credit to them, too. What's very important, too, is that now that gave us control of Lake Erie, which really screwed up the British um, supply line. So which that, threatened now Detroit, which is why those boys have to abandon Detroit, which is why we're then able to catch Tecumseh off guard here. Now, a very important thing we have to mention, you want to talk about a good quote. Uh, Oliver Hazard Perry, after famously winning this battle, writes and gets word to future president but current general William Henry Harrison, who again will lead his men into the Battle of Thames where yeah. able to uh, kill Tecumseh. This is a good quote. We have met the enemy and they are ours. Yeah, that's another famous American quote. That, mm-hmm. And William Henry Harrison at this point is in charge of the land forces of you know, the ground troops. So now you got Perry from the Navy um, messaging the army that uh, we have met the enemy and they are ours. So we now control Lake Erie. It was uh, Perry gets lionized in the papers and made into a national hero, rightfully so. Uh, He is known as the hero of Lake Erie, but he's not quite finished kicking ass for the red, white, and blue. Um, he's got some other stuff that he's got. He's going to have a prolific career in the. Now, also, we also covered in the uh, the Barbary Wars too. Uh, there becomes uh, in the early inception of the American Navy, uh, dueling is such a prolific thing that. Um, they actually had to outlaw dueling, not because <laughs> not because people were dying and they were like, this is sad and barbaric. It's because, like, all of our good officers keep shooting each other. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, the officers' corps aren't losing their lives in battle. They're losing their lives in dueling with one another. Oh, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, now, global timeline here. Uh, the British have defeated Napoleon's armies in 1814. The British now turn their full attention to the Americas. No longer would these Canadian British soldiers born in America or being sent overseas to outposts and wild native tribes be fighting against the upstart nation of America. You are now about to face battle-tested troops that just warred and won against the most powerful army on earth in Napoleon's army. Yeah, I got a name drop here just real quick. I mean, um, supposedly they defeated Napoleon in 1814, but then... Napoleon is banished to uh, Elba. Elba, but and he sneaks off of Elba and comes back. And then the actual Battle of Waterloo, which a lot of people attribute to the end of the Napoleonic Wars, uh, that's in 1815. And the guy that's large and in charge for the for the Allied forces, if you will, that were allied against Napoleon's forces is Arthur Wellesley, the first Duke of Wellington. So when you see that the Duke of Wellington was the guy that was able to defeat Napoleon, um, 
it's Arthur Wellesley is his actual name, but he's given the title later on as the, the Duke of Wellington. So he's large and in charge. And if you remember, um, Brock, the uh, um, British general, attributed Tecumseh to be the Wellington of the Native Americans. So Tecumseh that, was that's, badass. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the, the high honor that uh, you know, we, we're taking the best British general that we have, the Duke of Wellington. Um, and we're, now he's putting uh, Tecumseh on a parallel with the best the British have. Yeah, not quite the uh, bloodthirsty savage, not exactly Chief Wahoo, uh, you yeah. know, kind of an imagery here. <laughs> right, right. So exciting stuff on that one. And as, uh, as Chris pointed out in our previous episode, for those who don't know, uh, Wellington, uh, just to describe him a little bit, is a, uh, a puff pastry uh, on the outside of a delicious red-cut steak. So that is... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's bad. He's, he's the, the most brilliant military guy uh, probably in the early, uh, so early century. The same way that guys brag about serving under Patton in World War II, people, these British soldiers who now served under Wellington are coming to America. Right. And oh, this should oh, be, shit. yep, this should be a much easier fight for them than the well-trained forces of, uh, you know, the, the, the French Empire. Yeah, I mean, up, up to this point, I mean, a lot of the British uh, considered this whole thing in America— uh, with them declaring war on us was kind of like a, just an annoyance. I mean, <laughs> our, our real fight is here on the continent with uh, with the French forces, with Napoleon's forces, and these Americans are just a pain in the ass, um, little sideshow kind of a thing going on. That's why uh, there weren't that many British forces, you know, British troops, regulars in Canada, because they needed all of their guys over on the continent to fight uh, Napoleon's forces. Does anyone else hear that? It's the sound of the colonies being loud again today. <laughs> we'll deal with them another year. Let's That's deal right, with the French. Right. Honestly, accurate assessment. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Napoleon abdicates, exiled to Elba. and But what's a war now? If you want to have, if you really want to establish a war, we burned some cities, we've played some away games, you know what I mean? But... You're going to have to have, uh, there has to be a bloody day of fighting, Dad, in order to really establish this as a true war. Otherwise, this is almost a series of skirmishes. There's, there's a lot going on. There's a fort being taken with no shots fired. There's all sorts of crazy stuff here. But we're going to have to escalate this war and get it real nice and bloody. And what better place to do that than a little place called Lundy's Lane? Oh, yeah. no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lundy's Lane, which sounds like a good place to buy towels. Um, <laughs> That's right, right. It's unfortunately not a bed, bath, and beyond. It's a new boutique uh, at the mall. <laughs> it's it? a bath, but it's definitely not for right. your bed. <laughs> yeah, bloodbath. Well, if Paul Revere taught us nothing else, it's that the British are coming, and that would ring true on this day for Lundy's Lane as well, because like we said, what is a war without a bloody day from hell? So we're going to have ourselves a damn good fight, and why not do it near Niagara Falls and enjoy the fall foliage? Sure. There you go. <laughs> Welcome to the Battle of Lundy's Lane here. Uh, a famed American general who will also be originally um, one of the, uh, the, the, the commanders of uh, the Army of the Potomac, I believe, um, uh, in the Civil War later on, is getting his early start here. This clearly is a brilliant military mind. This is a guy that a lot of the Americans are, are hanging their hopes and dreams on because we've got some real duds around this time frame. Your American Revolution officers have died off a lot of the heroes or they're, they're well past their prime. You've got a little badass dude named Winfield Scott who seems to be ready to kick a little bit of ass. Yeah, right? Winfield Scott at the start of the, of the war um, is just a young up-and-comer, but he is a, uh, an Army guy, a true regular, if you will. But uh, un- unfortunately, he's forced to serve under a lot of political appointee militia generals. Um, 
and but you know, and he's <laughs> he's quite vocal about uh, the lack of their military knowledge, if you will. This guy's been trained for it, and now he's being he's promoted a fighter. Up. He's being promoted up through the ranks just because he gets shit done. But uh, Winfield Scott will then later on go on to after the War of eighteen twelve be very much involved with uh, on the. Uh, Mexican War, the war with Mexico, mm-hmm. and then uh, he's large and in charge at the start of the American Civil War. So uh, Scott is going to lead a large American force into Canada again, okay, on July 5th, 1814. Uh, Scott's men are spotted by a British sentry, and several shots are fired. So they're trying to kill the sentry so that the sentry can't warn the people here. And keep in mind, these British troops that have been fighting under Wellington, they're arriving in Canada now and at different parts of uh, the country. The Americans would then stop at a nearby tavern to question the tavern owner, who, in fearing for her own life and the safety of her tavern, gives a semi-accurate account of information to the Americans. This this woman's kind of brilliant here, how she plays things. She doesn't know how clever she's being. She thinks she's just like, I'll tell these guys just enough but I know they're not my friends, but I also want to make sure they're not my enemies kind of a thing. She plays it right down the middle for the most part. Yeah, when, you're, when your uh, place of business is completely surrounded by the American forces, you're not going to uh, start picking fights with them. She heard about what happened in York. She knows. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Picture Jehovah's Witness ringing your doorbell, but they're also holding a bunch of torches. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a minute to talk to us about it? <laughs> yeah. So she embellishes the numbers. So she gives the accurate information to the Americans about the location uh, of the, uh, the the British forces. She does say they're around the corner here, if you will. But she embellishes the numbers enough that when Scott now goes to pursue the British, he does so very slowly and carefully. Thanks to that misinformation and the slow, uh, slow approach by what we're going to refer to as the Yankees here, the British are able to uh, retreat, kind of regroup, and are now made aware of approaching enemy forces. So the bloody battle that will ensue, known as Lundy's Lane, sees Winfield Scott caught off guard a little bit as he now realizes he is facing British General Rial, or Ryle, Rial, we'll say what I know, it's a kind of a street fighter name there, but uh, he's now facing the bulk of the British forces. The Americans are still going to hold the numbers advantage, but these are not the local militia British. These boys are battle-tested already, and the Battle of Lundy's Lane is now underway. The Americans nearly had the entire British group whipped. They almost took the position during this bloody fight on the first uh, day of the battle, if you will. But Scott is forced to call his men back. Um, Now, it's strategically, what a silly move. You you pretty much got these boys on the run, but he halts his advance knowing that his men are going to need water, and he is unaware. He has to get his guys back over to an area where they can get their hands on some water, but he's unaware that there's water at a closer location because sometimes it helps to maybe get the natives on your side. Maybe the locals can point you out, oh, by the way, if you guys need to fill your canteens, you should do it over here, rather than having to fall all the way back and give up your entire day's battle you know, gains, right. if Gain, you will. ground gained. So even with a two-to-one advantage, uh, numbers-wise, the British now, because uh, Scott brings them in back, the British are now able to entrench themselves, and that's a much more difficult hill to take now. This position is unable to be retaken by the Americans once they'd abandoned it. The bloodiest battle of the war, okay, is Lundy's Lane. By the end, no ground was gained, but casualties, deaths, and prisoners approached nearly 1,000 on each side. What? Yeah, about 1,000 people. When we say casualty, too, that means wounded, uh, right, or or just incapacitated to fight. Uh, There are the the killed in action guys as well, too, and then lots and lots of prisoners are getting taken here. In fact, this this war is fascinating to me, too, uh, Dad, because 
prisoners seem to be it's almost more common to take a prisoner than it is to kill a guy it, it seems like it a lot right. of these yeah. people are just like well you work for us now thank you <laughs> yeah it's a and a, what a, a weird culture too because there's so many similarities on that stuff but uh it is worth noting here that uh, uh in this battle unfortunately uh well fortunately for the americans british general rial is uh, actually or Ryle is taken prisoner by the americans so the Americans aren't gaining any ground, but we do capture the British general that was in charge of their force. Kind of a decent move. Almost like when you capture Jamie Lannister, all right, for yeah, a little Game of Thrones right. reference here. Yeah, and he was uh, he was not a well-liked guy, uh, Real, that uh, he was actually doing the skedaddle uh, when things, at the early part of the battle, when um, things were going well for the Americans. He, he did a retreat, if you will, and was was captured so he turned tail and yeah things went yeah. South. Mm-hmm. save yourself never mind my men oh man unfortunately american hero and uh, a guy that we're pinning a lot of our hopes on for uh, success up in the upper canada area here because again this battle is fought miles away from niagara falls general winfield scott is seriously wounded he will he will live through his uh, his wounds but he's definitely there's a couple of the purple heart is not exactly out yet but he'd be a candidate for it at this point so the early parts of the war are going to see Americans kind of act like an arrogant visiting team coming to beat the hometown heroes down in their own backyard, uh, and they really just didn't see them as much of a threat. Now the tables are starting to turn. The Americans started the war with their first invasion of another country. That was an American first, an invasion right, first, of another. Right, the first time we had a foreign, we as Americans invaded a foreign country. Exactly. Wow. So that's our first here. But what's a first without another first, Chris? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, in turn, remember, this is always the big thing I always talk about people when it comes to juggling security and politics and privacy and everything like that, uh, and, and even just with dating. A little dating advice here for uh, all the listeners at home. Uh, and and I'll, I'll leave it genderless so that it can be uh, used by both male and female listeners here. Uh, talking about potential mates and potential partners for your relationships here. Remember, <laughs> if they do it for you, they can do it to you. Okay. We'll, we'll leave that nice and open-ended there. That's right. Think on that for a yeah. while. Yeah. So I've been burning all my ex's hometowns. Not as, <laughs> like, I thought this was totally just, like, the normal thing to do. I wondered why there were so many less fires. But I get it now. Crap. <laughs> well played, sir. That's... Um, well, so again, if they can do it, uh, if they do it for you, they can do it to you. So we went up and we burned Toronto or York, as it was known at the time, uh, and we had invaded Canada. And Thomas Jefferson told us, "Oh, it's just a simple act of marching up there." Well, guess what? This is about to come back yeah. and punch us right in the dick. <laughs> All right. Um, British troops uh, were now about to have, we invaded for the first time another country, and now we are about to be invaded for the first time. That is the one of the marquee items of the War of 1812. Yeah, and just for first, too, um, the, Amer- the United States was the first to declare war against the British, and because of communications being so slow, because you've got to now take it on a, a sailing ship and go across the ocean, the British didn't declare war against the Americans until like six months later. So... We now have a, a war, and you know, the British initially added those pesky Americans. They're a pain in the ass. You know, this is just a little sideshow kind of a thing. But now that we've defeated Napoleon, we can send some some badass people of our own in there and, and make them pay to uh, for what they you're stirring up this little bit of trouble. They so. weren't ready for season two. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's uh, uh, now the writer strike is over. We're going to get the uh, s- right. some of the good guys coming back in over here, man. British troops are going to land in the Chesapeake Bay area. 
Okay. And America is about to realize that, again, Jefferson's simple act of marching wasn't going to be as simple as things were going to happen uh, for them. The war is about to come punch them right in their own face. And uh, we got a great name for you here. Uh, and we're going to, because it is partly a comedy show, we're going to have to uh, play with this name a little bit here, Dad. That's right. Uh, a British Navy admiral named Cockburn. Um, <laughs> My favorite admiral. <laughs> Ad, I served under Cockburn. It's a, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. at least the guys called him Cockburn. Cockburn. <laughs> I served under him, and all I got was a stupid Cockburn. That's a <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, uh, British Navy Admiral Cockburn, was that was the American pronunciation. His The way he pronounced his name was Coburn. Oh. Uh, but the Americans preferred to say Cockburn. I like yeah. the Yankee way better. And you can, yeah. you can the Jersey way of saying was Dick Sweat. Can, <laughs> <laughs> Admiral Dick Sweat. Um, you can kind of appreciate why the guy with a name like Pac- Cockburn might want to be called Coburn, because I mean, if you're trying to pick up chicks at the bar, I mean, if you hello ladies, my name is Cockburn. So you know, am I already advertising? I got some kind of disease that. Uh, I got the, I got the, you know the. Yeah, and we we talk about dating in a pandemic. <laughs> Admiral the clap. Yeah. <laughs> Admiral clap. Uh, we changed it. Used to be gonorrhea. <laughs> um, has been terrorizing the Chesapeake Bay. This guy, Navy Admiral Cockburn, uh, terrorizing the bay for about a year before this eventual invasion. He even builds a base of operations on an island outside the area, and the arrogant Cockburn is writing to anyone who will listen to him. So he, he's just been over here during the War of 1812. Oh, yeah. He's, he's just uh, been like the whole year like, oh, those Yankees, we better poke them with a stick today. Exactly. Take them take well, down I, merchant ships, making sure that the the little the fledgling uh, American Navy is not really able to do much of anything in the Chesapeake Bay area. And by the way, one of the major hubs is this area. That's why people thought Baltimore would be – and we're going to cover this – Baltimore, very strategically important area. Definitely something that if the British did invade, they'd have their eye on. Yeah, and, and Cockburn is sent over um, by the British. He's sent over to the Americas with just that. Make them pay, and we're going to have some little retribution here. How dare those freaking Americans burn, in, burn in the Parliament House in well, New York and, yeah. uh, you know, and starting this war to begin with. So he's going up and down the... Uh, the eastern seaboard burning houses uh burning not houses but burning towns and villages and everything else so he's he's seeking retribution and he didn't have a great love for the americans to begin with from previous uh, experiences so no he, no fan uh, of the upstart colonists yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh and the arrogant cockburn will write and say out loud to anyone who will listen to him that he believes washington the capital of this new country uh could be taken without much of any of a fight. Now, American President James Madison knew of the dangers, okay, and requested, uh, and by the way, Madison is considered to be one of the most intellectual uh, of the presidents we've ever had. He was a genius. So he'd be the kind of guy that now if we covered him on uh, CNN or debate, they would just refer to him as an egghead and he'd be boring and we'd, we'd be like, oh, I wonder what the other candidate, maybe the other candidate will give us a good sound bite or something like that. But this is back in the good old days when a smart guy like Madison was able to hold office. So Madison knows the dangers, requests a force of American regulars be put together in order to defend the capital city here. Only problem is this force is never really going to materialize because his own secretary of war kind of goes against him. Now, this guy's name is John Armstrong, and Armstrong is just could not be convinced otherwise. He goes, why would they come to D.C.? Everybody wants Baltimore. Okay. Yeah, Baltimore is the large um, trading port and, you know, a lot of the – one of the richest 
cities on the East Coast at that point. So, I mean, Baltimore was the prize. But uh, Cockburn, again, to, as retribution to make him pay, he's, he's got his eye on um, Washington. And I think what's real interesting is now you've got a British admiral, a Navy guy, that's looking at the capital, um, Washington, which isn't, which isn't on the seacoast. I mean, that's like 50 miles or so inland. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's up with this guy? There, he's, there's he's a map really... we saw, by the way, if you really want to, because they talk about um, the, the term of drain the swamp uh, has been out there. And it's very interesting because D.C. really is a swamp, too, by the way. And for those listeners who don't know this, there's a reason why the president every summer would leave Washington and go retreat to the Jersey Shore where it was a little bit more pleasant weather. <laughs> There was a, a summer White House kind of a vibe over here in Jersey. President's Park, almost uh, in Long Branch, New Jersey. Seriously. Yeah. So pretty wild shit on that one. But there is a bit of a swamp, and it's kind of easy to get around to, especially if you have absolute uh, you know, water supremacy here. So uh, Madison's asking for this force. Armstrong says, no way, dude. They're not coming to D.C. Baltimore is where everybody wants to be. Even the mayor of D.C. Uh, declares the city to be defenseless. And an anonymous letter arrives openly stating, hey, dude, Cockburn's saying he's coming and he's going to pretty much like, – like, he's literally laying out his game plan. He goes, he goes this is how I'm going to beat you. It's almost like Mike Tyson just coming in and he goes, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to eat your ear. I'm going to kill your children. Right. I'm going to eat your children. I'm, I'm going to fuck you till you love me. Right. <laughs> you ain't going more than three rounds. I mean, you're – you know, he's, oh, yeah. he's calling them out. He's calling him out. So someone told Madison, hey, they spray-painted Cockburn on the side of one of our towns. And to be honest, that's kind of scary. Yeah, so uh, I'll say this. This is a, an interesting one here. So if uh, Cockburn is, for wrestling terms, the New World Order from WCW uh, coming in here, they're taking over, all right? And uh, Armstrong cannot be convinced. He goes, no way. This isn't going to take off, blah, blah, blah. We're all good to go here. And the results are rather catastrophic. You want to talk about being able to see American history here. Uh, first of all, diehard American patriots on this show, for the most part, right? Um, and seeing the Capitol, seeing D.C. itself is awe-inspiring. As a kid, I remember just my, my brain was shattered. I was like, this is where this all happens? Like, this is... My that brain the, exploded the first time I saw it. Oh, it's yeah. the coolest yeah. place, yeah. you know? And, and it's really magnificent. And you think about what existed then versus what existed now and some of the history of everything and why things got their names. That's where this love of history came from, Lawrence Patrick, well, because that, you were a cheapskate and didn't want to take us to Florida. Oh, come on. And we took you to Washington, D.C.? <laughs> I can still remember your expression on your face. I guess you were, I don't know, fourth grade or so, but coming up out of the metro and we're on the plaza and you look there's the washington monument there's there's the congress there's the white house and like holy shit this is this is where it all happens so when you're in elementary school and you're finding out you know how how a bill becomes a law and all that bullshit um uh there it is right there that was the, the seat of our government so um we ran out of gas halfway through the trip and we were like this is perfect <laughs> <laughs> that's right it was uh, no, that was one of the the great trips. Uh, Fort Ticonderoga definitely got me here. But this love of American history, uh, anyone who is listening to the show already kind of has an interest in it, and we're going to reward that, guys, because this is this was new shit for me. I'm 33 years old. I've been obsessed with history since fourth grade, maybe even earlier, Dad. And uh, it was uh, uh, it was definitely a weird show and tell when kids are like, "This is a cool stick my dog brought in," or like, "Here's a new action figure I got." And like. Uh, KP wants to talk about the Alamo. <laughs> so, 
Um, the uh, This is fascinating to me. I, I learned a lot more about this. It was not as simple and cut and dry as a history book will do, which is the heart of this show. We take one line from a history book, and we give you the actual details. The uh, most resistance that uh, the British landing parties are going to receive is from rough tides. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The seas were against them, but that's about it. The seas, maybe the rivers are a little bit crazy here. There's gunboats. Uh, this guy, uh, this Commodore, um, Commodore Barney, is trying to put up a little bit of a fight. But he realizes he's outmatched. So what Barney does, um, and, and by the way, as soon as you say Barney, you just can't help but picture a, a giant purple dinosaur with Going, a cannon. I love you. Yeah, you love me. <laughs> <laughs> with a big middle finger. It's a, <laughs> let's get together and sing. Uh, or Barney Fife uh, with a single bullet in his revolver. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's uh, what winds up happening. Uh, Commodore Barney is attempting to put up some resistance, but uh, he winds up having to blow up his own gunboats so that they won't fall into British hands. Because like we said with the Battle of Lake Erie, you capture them it becomes it this is my car now so right. spoils of war indeed um and again uh, th this is wild here so f current secretary of state and again another future president that's why this war is so important by a guy by the name of james monroe will then take some men with him for recon and a hopeful interruption of some of the landing forces here however guess what they forget chris guess what they forget to bring with them oh god uh, did they please tell me they didn't forget a compass? <laughs> you are so close, it's ridiculous. They forget to bring with them a spyglass, you know, essentially. God. Yep. So it's uh, we're going out on a recon mission, but we didn't bring binoculars <laughs> is essentially it. And because Come of that, on. they're unable to, to figure out the size of the force that's approaching here. So the British are going to march. Um, pretty easily they're barely encumbered by any american resistance the american gunboats have already blown themselves up here the militiamen are little of no use in the defense of the city james madison you want to talk about we talk about badass presidents we've had uh, quite a few um you know obviously the, our favorite on this show is teddy roosevelt who probably if you try to take dc while teddy was there teddy was like i've been waiting for this fight my entire life <laughs> my right. bare hands right. are ready exactly teddy's putting on the rambo paint and just tying up his <laughs> thing right right so, this but, is the out you waited your whole life for. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ricky, strike this motherfucker out. Yeah. But Madison, again, an intellectual guy, not a tall guy, not known for his ferocity here, arms himself with two flintlock pistols, and he and his cabinet go out to watch what is going to be referred to as the Battle of Bladensburg over in Maryland. This takes place on August 24th. Many inhabitants of D.C. have already bailed because they realize, like, yo, we have nothing. There's no defense against this. It's time to get the hell out. Um, important papers, such as the Declaration of Independence, are stolen by Nicolas Cage. Um, it's a, no, they're, uh, they're taken for safekeeping, uh, so it's important documents. Uh, the, the Declaration of Independence, uh, some artwork, some keepsakes, uh, uh, national treasures, if you will, a signed copy of Elle McPherson's first Playboy. All these things are evacuated for safekeeping. So well, that's, that's definitely a keepsake. <laughs> But uh, now, unfortunately, as Madison watches the militia who are outnumbering the British, again, this is the thing. This is the numbers here. It, it's about it's not about the uh, the, the size of uh, the, the fight. I'm sorry. It's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's the fight in the dog. Right, right, Dad? You said that earlier. So these militiamen are outnumbering the British scatter as Madison watches. The president of the United States is watching as the militia scatters at the first signs of violence. And he realizes that the capital city is doomed to fall. A lone hero exists on this day. The aforementioned Commodore Barney, he says, I love you, you love me, let's t get together and I'm going to fuck you guys up. <laughs> um, he takes his 250 sailors, okay, 
um, that uh, they had blown up their, their ships, but they were able to keep some of their cannons, they were able to keep their firearms. Commodore Barney is pleading with President Madison. He goes, you got to let me do something here. Let me do something. Commodore Barney gets into the fight, and uh, he and his men, 250 sailors, Navy boys, throwing in a little cannon attack, throwing some skirmishing in here. They are honest to God, as Cockburn says himself, he goes, this was the only real struggle for us in taking D.C. was fighting Commodore Barney and his men. Barney is unfortunately during the fight wounded and captured, but in honor and also a little sarcastic dismissal of the ease with which they just took the capital city, Cockburn pardons him on the spot saying, hey, you know, um, we captured you, you killed a couple of my men, but you know what, that was really the only fight we got today, so you're free to go, sir. You fought with honor. And it's again, it's kind of a recognition oh, of Barney man. here, but also a little bit of an insult like, uh, hey, well, I mean, we'll let this guy go back because uh, go, you go walk back there and uh, make sure that your presence felt reminds everybody else of what a giant pussy they are. Right. Classic Cockburn right there. <laughs> That's what they call it, man. Yeah. Oh, uh, great line. Another, another guy that we got to throw in there, too, with this whole thing as they're now um, getting approaching Washington is uh, General Robert Ross. Um, he's an Army guy, but he's under the command, if you will, of, uh, of um, Cockburn. Um, Cockburn, what was interesting is uh, as they come ashore, actually his higher-up, Cockburn, Admiral Cockburn's higher-up, or Coburn, if you want to, to correct pronunciation, um, is told that, you know, don't, um, don't go after Washington. Um, he, he wanted them to come back to the ships. Um, that, uh, all right, you put forces on the ground, you had a battle, um, don't, don't go into uh, Washington, D.C., um, come back to the ships. Uh, Cockburn says, screw that, we're ignoring those orders. Really? So, yeah, so he went against orders of that and then convinces by uh, needling uh, General Robert Ross that we're going into Washington and we're taking Washington. And, again, a sign of the times is that with those armies at that particular time in, in history, mm -hmm. if you capture somebody's capital, that's game over. Yeah, that's right? checkmate. So, I mean, that's, that's the end of it. That's, absolutely, that's checkmate. Yeah. Um, but uh, Cockburn goes against orders and convinces some of his other subordinates or co-leaders, uh, co if you will, mm -hmm. ignore what the, ad the, the admiral above us is telling us come back to the ship. He's a screwed at. We're taking Washington, D.C. So that's how much of a vengeance uh, that, that's crazy. Coburn was coming into. Yeah, so Those colonies have done me dirty so many times. What if we just yeah. knock out the whole entire capital? It's a good revenge mission there, too. And uh, by the way, a quick uh, just a, a note I want to say. My father's gotten so great at broadcasting now. Uh, you wouldn't believe this. I can literally just make the sign of keep going because I know he has something good he wants to talk about. And then I can go out and take my coffee piss. So <laughs> You would have never noticed. No, well, no. I'm glad things worked out for you, Kev. Well, one time Kahuna <laughs> left it in on the episode. And, of course, it was a Patreon episode. And then uh, I think it was um, uh, uh, one of the Kilroys wrote to us. He goes, you guys left a bathroom break in. Do you know that? And I was like, oh, okay. you guys are seeing behind the scenes, really? <laughs> Whoa, hey, the magic of we, Patreon. We you're, told you you're a part of the show. <laughs> you're, you're getting reality re re podcasting here. This isn't, uh, you know, cut and edit. Cut oh, exactly. And this, is, this is the real thing here. Now, we have to talk about, um, again, sometimes in American history, just because of the, the times and everything like that, we tend to sometimes talk or harp a little bit too much on what uh, the, uh, the, the men of history are doing, because a lot of the, again, it's 
what offices are you holding? It's military stuff like that. There is a absolutely intriguing and endearing female figure here. I would go ahead and call her an American hero. Absolutely. Um, and it, there's some conjecture about who is the the. You want to talk about first ladies, prolific first ladies? There's a lot of really good ones, okay? Uh, Nancy Reagan, very interesting one in terms of protecting her husband's legacy. Uh, Jackie O for being a smoke show. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Um, Ivanka for being a smoke show. Say what you want about Trump. That's a good-looking woman. All right? A lot of people find Michelle Obama to be a very inspiring figure here. This one gets left out sometimes. President Madison happens to be married to a woman who's A, taller than him, B, comes from almost a better family than him, uh, and she is, I believe, there, there, well, like there's some conjecture about this, but she regularly and routinely served ice cream at the White House. Are so you kidding she, me? She this to, egghead got all that? Oh, yeah. He got himself, uh, 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 again, a bit of a, they loved each other, too. This was a deep, passionate romance between yeah, the two and, of them. Yeah, intellectual equal. Oh, and, yeah. And, oh. and Madison was no uh, no slouch. And she could play cards, and, uh, and and she was she was definitely a fun person, a vibrant Damn. personality right, to occupy right. what's known as the president's house at this time, okay? The president's house. Yeah, it really wasn't known as the White House just yet. It's the president's house. But um, she is certainly the, the yin to his yang because he's a high intellectual, but he's more of an introverted kind of a guy where the wife, you didn't say her name yet, but. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Dolly Madison, guys, which, by the way, in my research of it, I kept accidentally writing Dolly Parton, (laughs) which is also interesting because she kind of fits some of the if you were to make if there was a casting couch, I would cast Dolly Parton as Dolly Madison, without a doubt. Um, But Dolly is, uh, you know, his intellectual equal, but very much outgoing. And, uh, you know, she's large and in charge as far as um, the social aspect of, of the White House with various parties and. Um, entertaining various dignitaries and that type of thing. So she's a very interesting, very interesting character. A charmer, a brilliant woman, a fun woman to probably hang out. And and then this one thing here, this is worth noting. This is uh, probably her... And there were people that tried to dispute this, and there's only little tiny details that are disputed. You can't take this away from her. So it's whether or not what the order of events was. Battle of Bladensburg is lost. Madison sits there and goes... Shit. Okay, DC is about to fall. Right. So he gets word back to uh, Dolly, who is in the White House, well, at the president's house at the time, right? Um, and says, "Listen, it's time for you to get out of DC." And Dolly refuses. To, her carriage is ready. Her armed escort is there to get the first lady of the United States out safely before the British troops come in. Because what a great capture that would be, right? And she refuses to leave until they have secured the cherished portrait of father of the nation, George Washington, the, the most famous portrait of George Washington. They actually have to break the frame out in order to get the painting itself out on time. But she, she will not leave until that painting is safely secured with them. Right. So you want to know, if you ever see that, that is, when you ever get a chance to see that, uh, whether it be via Google search or in person, you are seeing that because Dolly Madison was a bad, bad bitch. Right. She wasn't going to have anything. She wasn't giving there. up the ship. That's for sure. No, that shit um, rules. You know, um, <laughs> I thought I was upset with the British before because they were burning down Washington, but now I'm really, really, really miffed because they're burning down the original Dollywood. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, there you go. There you go. Well, she's working and, nine to five. Um, <laughs> and at, at this point in time, too, I mean, everybody else in the city has already done the skedaddle. They've gotten out, so there's a very uh, acute shortage of carriages or wagons or whatever to uh, get whatever possessions you might want to s- try to save. So she's gathering up some valuables, but this portrait of George Washington 
which is very large and, as you said, it literally had to be uh, broken off the wall and put into her own personal carriage, if you will, and taken safely out of Washington, D.C. She's one of the one of the last to get out of the get out of Dodge. Um, there's a couple people that are still kicking around the city, but the city, for the most part, is deserted at this point. Unfortunately, here we are at the hour mark on the show here. I want to let you guys know the nation's capital has fallen. The then still under construction Capitol building, right? It wasn't finished yet, uh, is the first to be burned. Okay, that building is burned by the British. Other targets will include the Treasury building, which I'm not really against the Treasury building being burned. It's kind of a cool thing if you think about it. (laughs) Um, They then burn the Navy Yard, which upsets me as a former Navy man, and a place called the President's House, a.k.a. the future White House, where Dolly just left and took the painting with her, gets burned. Now, um, the British soldiers that are in there, including Cockburn himself now, are drinking the President's wine, eating the President's food, uh, and just showing absolute disrespect for the city here almost a revenge tour for the burning of uh, uh of york right but at the same time also that this is going to be a thing that's going to galvanize some people cockburn has taken the city with as much ease as he promised that he smashed newspapers that he didn't like and destroyed a monument to the heroes of the first barbary wars by the way who was one of the heroes of the first barbary wars oliver hazard perry <laughs> yeah okay so you're going to piss off the americans right now uh, the British would withdraw from the city in order to avoid a counterattack. So they're just like, hey, listen, we accomplished all we needed to accomplish here. Uh, Madison's able to reunite with his wife safely. And then Madison, to his credit, this is where he really started to galvanize national support, that now Madison, uh, you know, much almost like, uh, like 9-11, when you started seeing like the president and Giuliani and people like that walking around and uh, you know, uh, just, just surveying the damage and meeting and speaking with the people. He's doing a little bit of a plain folks talk as Madison's walking up and down the streets of D.C. here. Uh, So the people knew their president was a smart man, and even those who once challenged him, and as you said earlier in the first episode, Dad, the uh, New England states were actually debating secession to Canada. Um, They now know that this British aggression, even though it was in revenge, uh, this, uh, to quote the Big Lebowski, this this will not stand, man, this (laughs) act of aggression. (laughs) So... The next tactical point after the British took Alexandria was to take the harbor and port of Baltimore. So again, Armstrong's right, just not in the order of events. Yeah, now just let me just jump in here a minute because they they burned Washington. Um, I was uh, saying before that uh, Coburn or Cockburn was actually ordered back uh, not to take Washington. He did that on his own. He disobeyed order to, to take Washington. And he then wanted to go from Washington right up to Baltimore. With, uh, with General Ross and attack Baltimore straight away. Um, but um, he is ordered back to the ships, so they go back to the ships, which allows the Americans some time to strengthen the defenses of Baltimore. Baltimore is the, is the key prize. If Baltimore falls, um, game over. We're already, they already captured our capital or burnt our capital. So if they capture Baltimore, that's, uh, that's game over. Exactly. Um, but they, the British then come back to the ships and sail up to Baltimore rather than marching across, uh, across the land like uh, Cockburn wanted to do with uh, Ross at his, at his side. Um, and that gives the Americans about three weeks to prepare their defenses. And fortunately, the defenses aren't being um, developed by 
um, Secretary of War uh, Armstrong. Armstrong. Yeah. We're getting a couple more. First of all, the Americans are pissed now. You came. So the same way that uh, we were playing an away game and being arrogant, now the British are coming into town, and now they're trying to trash our locker rooms. They're trying to sit there and— They stole know, our mascot. Ooh, this guy gets it. <laughs> right, right, right. And they're playing for keeps. I mean, when you're burning the cities down— and this wasn't the first city that they burnt down. Cockburn had gone up and down the East Coast burning cities. So they know that when they're coming for Baltimore, they're, they're burning that one down too. So I think Coburn um, might be an arsonist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you want to talk about the, the, the spirit of Hulkamania beginning to grip the nation here. It's happening. Uh, this defense of Baltimore is going to be crucial to the nation, to its identity, and to its future. People don't realize that. It wasn't – the American Revolution didn't mean, okay, boom, we're our own country now. This could have fallen. If 1812 had gone a different way, we could have just been, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the same way that uh, Vancouver is British Columbia. We could just be America, British Columbia, right? So this defense is going to be absolutely important here. There's a ground battle against the British troops. Uh, that forces a retreat by the Americans, right? The militia, this time though, the militia to their credit, stands a, a much firmer ground. They don't scatter at the first sign of chaos. They actually sit and give a little bit of a fight here. The delay causes, um, the kind of the delay, if you will, that they're able to cause, but the distraction by engaging the forces on the ground here, more time for the defenses of a certain famous fort, okay, which is another one of those eye-opening trips that we went on as a kid, Dad, where I think I made us watch the uh, the, the video twice at the... Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I was obsessed. Uh, fort McHenry in Baltimore, baby, all right? We're at... Uh, this is, by the way, if you are paying attention to the war from the American side, this is essentially where the war starts on the History Channel documentaries. <laughs> they leave out all the parts where we piss off Canada and Britain and everything like that. But uh, a couple of famous names here. A young man by the name of Francis Scott Key, an American lawyer, is visiting an American. guy. Yeah. yeah, you've heard of that name? <laughs> yeah, his, uh, his son threw a dick uh, or two around too many. In, uh, <laughs> got, he winds up getting shot in the Dan Sickles episode for those uh, the diehard loser fans. Um, but Francis Scott Key is visiting an American friend who's being held prisoner by the British, and as a lawyer, he's attempting to negotiate the release of his friend. So he's on a British prisoner ship. Key is not able to get back on shore in time, and the British warships have now begun their assault on Fort McHenry. It is during this time and during this siege that Key wrote what would years later become our national anthem. So he originally uh, published it as the defense of Fort McHenry. It has now become the Star-Spangled Banner. Okay. Uh, it is originally written to the melody. By the way, if you want to talk about the history of alcohol and the United States, <laughs> there you go. we are so akin. Intertwined. Oh, in, yeah, there's no way around it. Um, he's written it to the tune of a famous pub drinking song. Yeah, a British drinking song. A British drinking song, mm -hmm. indeed. So that is the tune of the Star Spangled Banner. And the reason why he did that was because he goes, oh, people will be able to sing this at the pub. We'll do that. You know, it's, We've got an American one now, right? Exactly. We're doing a little cover. You know what I mean? It's a, this is a remix. <laughs> yeah. So. You might want to remix that one where people have uh, not quite so much difficulty hitting the high notes on that. Uh, oh, yeah. That would have been a good, uh, good <laughs> yeah. thought. Yeah, right. poor, poor Roy Biggins <laughs> for a little Wings reference to there anyone who go. understands that one. Uh, but yes, the uh, the defense of Fort McHenry, it was originally written, like we said there. He's watching this. He's writing this as he's watching um, just a total nonstop cannon assault, firing back and forth, the Americans within the fort, the British warships uh, with all their might. Uh, they're really not able to get into uh, – now, there is some breaching of the walls at Fort McHenry, with, so there are landing shots there. This is a legit battle. It's not just, you know, a, a show of, uh, you know, firing cannons at each other and hoping that someone gets scared. 
this is a legit fight here. Yeah, Fort McHenry is, is key because it guards the, the, uh, the Baltimore Harbor, that if the fort fell, Baltimore would fall. And, you know, the United States would fall because, again, you already burnt their capital. So we know their British intentions. They're, it's retribution, baby. We're going we're gonna to knock this shit out. Um, and it wasn't just an overnight bombardment. This thing went on for a long period of time. I can't I forget how many um, hundreds of uh, hundreds of shots were fired. They and came that, packed it. Yeah, and that whole like, a haze actually is filling the. You can't even see in front of you. So right. Scott Key is Francis Scott Key is from this boat looking out. He can't really see what's going. On. Imagine seeing it, so it's uh, like rockets, the, red glare. Oh, yeah, this exactly. fucking guy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then the bombardment continues through the night. So with the smoke and the, and and darkness and everything else, um, all the lights in the in the city of, of Baltimore were extinguished so that the British would not have a, a target to fire. Well, they were out of range at that point. They had to get past uh, Fort McHenry in order to bombard Baltimore itself to safeguard the, the town. But um, the only visible, uh, the only vision that you would have is by the rocket's red glare. So, I mean, that, that was truly accurate that you could see the flag. Um, it wasn't. It was a battle flag. It wasn't the big, huge thing that's now on display in Washington. Well, there's a, a giant flag is going to eventually be flown by the commander of Fort McHenry, who's a genius because he has this giant flag made, and it's super important too, because uh, in order to sew this giant flag, the the local seamstresses, again, the the women very involved in um in this capacity of it, they're sewing this giant American flag, which is essentially a huge middle finger that's going to be sent out to the British fleet. You're sending your best, and this is, we're still here, baby, all yeah, right? We're still standing, kind of a rocky thing. Yep. I'm here, come on, I'm here, come <laughs> Never on. knock me down, Sugar Ray. <laughs> Never knock me down. So anyway, it's important because uh, this flag is sewn by the seamstresses, the, the people who are in, in charge of this. They do an amazing job on uh, this flag, and it's uh, super important to also know that because of the size of the flag, they needed to be able to work uh, inside of a, a large facility where they could lay out the giant pieces of fabric that were going to have to make this flag. And a local brewery allowed them to use the malt room. So Ooh. the most famous American flag in history, arguably, was made in a brewery. Its genesis was in a brewery. The most famous <laughs> song, our national anthem, written to the tune of a drinking song. Okay, uh, you know it. it uh, it's it's we're definitely we're a boozing nation over here. We should here. attempt to drink the flag. If the, if, if, <laughs> it might be you know the perfect amount of hops and barley. <laughs> it might be just ideal, and it'll taste like freedom. We'll feel like patriots. It's <laughs> called Sam Adams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, but that that flag, I forget the exact dimensions, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 feet by 50 feet. So, Jesus. I mean, it's a, it's a huge flag. And the commander of Fort McHenry wanted to fly a flag so big that the British would be able to see it way out into the ocean, like 15 miles away, that they're going to see exactly where Fort McHenry is. Like, we're standing here. We're here. You know, come get it. When the actual battle took place, that flag was lowered and a smaller, what they call a battle flag, was, was flown. But that was the one that uh, Francis Scott Key was referring to. We don't want to destroy the nice you could only, Yeah, you yeah. don't want a cannon shot right. going through and that. These ladies worked hard on this. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want it all shot full of holes. But Well, the flag is still standing. The defense of, fault, uh, of Baltimore is intact. And by the way, uh, on the ground in the battle, the ground battle that uh, delayed the actions uh, in order for Fort McHenry to be able to uh, uh, hold— Another future president 
James Buchanan actually serves as a private during the ground attack. So the day had been won. The British realized now the impracticality of their siege and withdrew. America has withstood its first invasion, and a sense of national pride develops from this. The question remains as we begin to wrap up over here, because um, uh, Chris has shit to do today, so we're going to get him out of here on time. I did just send you a Facebook message. Oh, or, oh I didn't even know. Just trying to warn you, because I, I know you wanted to get out at a specific time, and I'm doing my damnedest, buddy. No, but dude, it's a okay. As you can see, this war fucks everybody up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the question remains, though, how is this going to end? Good news is, on the political side of things, negotiations are already underway. Having lost the Battle of Baltimore and the Battle of Lake Champlain, the British are now concentrating their forces down south for an attack on the lower half of the United States. So if you can't get into the... Uh, keep in mind, by the way, the United States at this time, it's undeveloped to the west. So all you have to do is if you can control the rivers, then you can essentially control all the trade and the resupply, and then the British are going to be able to do a blockade here. You can suffocate. You can essentially turn the United States into an island in which you can essentially have them surrounded using the waterways. Spain still got Florida, right? Uh, around this time, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, but, uh, uh, San Augustine, where, where I'll be heading for two months. Uh, what a fascinating uh, town that is. But um, important to note here that uh, the, the negotiations are already kind of underway. But again, there's still this British. We haven't decided anything yet with these negotiations. So the British are moving forward with their kind of last ditch effort. Uh, they're going to try to take over the lower half of the United States. If you can take over the port of New Orleans, then you would be able to then move up from the south and then kind of Control the Mississippi River, and you're going to have yeah, you're so going to have a war on two fronts for the Americans to deal with. We tested your strong point. Let's try to test another point here to see if we can get in there. The only problem is down south, they're going to have to contend with a real son of a bitch named Andrew Jackson, oh, another yeah. future president. So Jackson, extremely complicated legacy, um, but also uh, uh, there's there's so many negatives with his presidency. There's so many positives with him. Uh, so he's an interesting guy here. I would refer to him as Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Okay, because you might have just won a tag team match with him, but he's still going to stun you and drink a beer over your knocked unconscious body. <laughs> so having a nickname of Old Hickory, he had been down in the... wide, uh, diverse uh, group that he's trying to now command in, mm -hmm. in the uh, protection of uh, New Orleans. Because again, now think about it, if, if New Orleans falls, New Orleans is going to control the Mississippi, that the United States would actually be surrounded. You've got Canada to the north, a British possession. You've got the eastern seaboard, the British Navy is ruling, uh, ruling the seas. If you can control the Mississippi River now, they're in your back door too. So uh, that would not be good if New Orleans fell. Um, peace negotiations are starting at this particular point in time, but uh, again, news isn't getting across the Atlantic as quickly as you might like. One little thing I'd like to throw in here, at the uh, defense of Baltimore, um, that guy, Ross, who was responsible for the burning of Washington's E.C. with Cockburn, right. uh, he's killed uh, in, in the defense of uh, in Baltimore. Oh. And a guy by the name of uh, Major General Sir Edward uh, Pakenham 
is now the guy that's in charge or takes over for Ross, and he's in charge of the Army, the ground forces. Um, and he's the guy that they're sending around down to New Orleans to uh, try to capture New Orleans. Cockburn, Packenham. Pack and pork and Cockburn. <laughs> Sounds about right to me. Pack and pork, yep. There we go. Well, as the uh, British are planning their siege of New Orleans, which would then give them access to the rivers, like we said, good old Andy Jackson, he's been preparing for a fight. Unfortunately, he's been preparing for this fight since he was about 11 years old. So Yeah, and he, he had a deep, deep-seated deep hatred for the British, too, because as a, a youngster, um, he was uh, um, cut across the face by a British officer during the American Revolution. So during, he, well, As he was captured. Yeah, he, um, he had an early, because he refused to uh, polish some British officer's boots, so... Uh, young Andy uh, didn't have a love for the British to begin Andy's with. Andy's sitting over there like, first blood. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. I That's didn't it. want this war, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, man. You never know what little act of aggression is going to bring out a total warrior in somebody here, too. And it's uh, it becomes uh, it becomes pretty intense. Um, Jackson, like I said, been prepping for this fight since he was a young man. He already had the reputation of old Hickory. Now, as a judge, when he was working prior to the war here, he was also a fascinating guy because he would carry out some of his own sentences that there was a guy that if you um, he's not a judge dread type thing, but uh, definitely a guy who uh, if you were afraid of the local criminal because he was a tough guy, the judge Andrew Jackson would walk out there and serve you. Uh, he would make sure you're serving justice here. He would occasionally duel with people that would refuse to stand trial. Damn. <laughs> and Andy was old Hickory is a good nickname for this man. So, uh, by the way, one of the guys, uh, I, let me see if I have it right. One of the guys that he's going to wind up fighting with in these Creek Indian Wars, a uh, future senator from Tennessee, Davy Crockett. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, had uh, differentiating uh, political opinions. And, yeah. Uh, they Started off as buddies, gonna... then kind of right. there's a little bit of a, a Charlie Sheen versus right. uh, Sergeant Barnes thing in Platoon here. A little um, head button. So on New Year's Eve of 1814, again, the War of 1812, going a little bit longer, um, the, uh, the British and the Americans are going, this is a very important year, New Year's Eve, 1814, British and the Americans sign the Treaty of Ghent in Belgium, okay? This effectively ends the war. Huh? Yes. Well, yeah, actually, the, the treaty is signed on the tr December 24th. And the British ratified it on December I'm sorry, the 28th. I said New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve. I apologize. Christmas Eve. Thank right. you. All right, so Christmas Eve, the Treaty of Ghent, and that's in Paris, all right? So we're in France. Um, the Americans and the British agree to this treaty that we're going to end this thing. Then it, it then has to go back to their home countries, if you will, to be ratified. The British ratify right away. So by December the 28th, four days later, the British ratify. So I guess you could get word back over to to British Parliament and from France in four days, but it's going to take longer than four days they to get to They know they that. don't have express shipping, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. This is, Overnight. Uh, yeah. That doesn't sound good. Right. Wait, that sounds like there's going to be another kerfuffle. So, yeah, there's going to be Good foreshadowing, another... Chris. Good <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> a little, uh, little Donnybrook. Only problem is news is going to travel very slowly, and in January of 1814, Andrew Jackson will lead a heroic defense of New Orleans in an extremely bloody battle against the British troops that are attempting to invade it. And as we said, Dad, Jackson has no love for the British already here. He had lost family members fighting, as he called them, the damned redcoats. Old Hickory was his, uh, his nickname here. He immediately, upon showing up in New Orleans, puts New Orleans under martial law because he was afraid 
that the, the people of New Orleans, who, by the way, crazy, kind of very fun culture down there. She's so got some Creole stuff, some runaway slaves, Native Americans, dirty Irish. Um, <laughs> all sorts of people are living down there. And the idea is that, well, maybe they're not going to, maybe they'll welcome the British in. Be like, hey, just don't burn my house down. You guys go do what you got to do. You know, you want the river. The river's yours, man. Just leave New Orleans alone. So in order to circumvent that, martial law is declared over here. So uh, to his credit now, this is a very interesting thing. You want to talk about a charismatic guy that can draw people in? Andrew Jackson, who was born in a log cabin, depending on who you talk to, mm-hmm. it was it was a, a bit of a manor estate from— uh, Right, a very uh, large log cabin. Yeah, but he was able to parlay that into born in a log cabin. And don't get me wrong, this dude was fucking tough. This yeah. is no—he's no pussy. Um, this is no paper tiger here. But uh, in the, uh, the years prior, again, he'd been fighting the Native Americans, the Creek Indian Uprising. Uh, he gets a large force together, some of those guys who came with him from uh, those fighting of the Native Americans here. He's got militiamen. He's got army regulars. He's got frontiersmen. He gets some of the Bayou Pirates down in New Orleans to fight alongside him, which becomes huge because they're a great um, uh, harasser, if you will, of the British as they're attempting to land. Runaway slaves... Uh, who have made it down to uh, free New Orleans now, if you will. And then friendly Native Americans who are, you know, kind of the, the people like, yeah, we get along with you guys. The Americans aren't too, too bad here. They're not part of Tecumseh's uh, failed Indian rebellion here. Uh, so he's got a, literally, uh, he's formed essentially the G.I. Joe coalition <laughs> to fight against the British as they attempt to take New Orleans. I was going to say Andrew Jackson's new circus show. <laughs> he's the ringleader. Right. Not too far off, dude. Um, now, again, this is hilarious here because in order to have one of the major, the very few major successes of the entire war, even though the war is technically already over, the British assault in which Andrew, Andrew Jackson has some great quotes. He pretty much is telling the guys, like, we're going to stand our ground here until they fucking take it from us, uh, and then we're going to take their ground from them. So he is drawing the line in the sand. We're here for a f- There's a, a brilliant, brilliant drawing of just him sword drawn out in front of his men just like, guys, like like come at me bro right. is essentially the vibe right here. he's he's a leader that's leading from the front not from uh, you know oh yeah he wants six to miles fight. back behind the fighting lines so again even though the war is technically over word hasn't quite gotten back to everybody yet the british assault will see the loss of 2000 british soldiers lives 2000 jesus christ <laughs> and jackson's ragtag crew of criminals and soldiers will lose less than 100 men it is it is a, the biggest loss for the British. I mean, it is the egg on their face, right? And this is finally uh, the Americans like, oh, did we just kick this shit? We do have it in us. This is great. Right. We're winning a couple of rounds here That's in right, this right. fight. We're landing a few punches, and this was a, this was a, a biggie. This was a biggie. So Jackson's actions that day will launch him to superstardom. Now we got this. Uh, we've wanted an American hero this entire time. We thought we were going to get it with Winfield Scott. He does the job, but he gets hurt. William Henry Harrison, technically a hero, if you will. But again, he's always had the advantage of numbers. And really, it's not. Uh, he's not tactically being brilliant. He's actually you know, uh, better just, PR people. Than for, yeah, he's just got a battering <laughs> ram. Right. That's what he's got here. Right. So. Um, but again, uh, now this is pretty wild here. Jackson's success that day. He's now an international superstar. New Orleans is known for partying a little bit. You ever been, Chris? No, I haven't. It I is. was supposed to go this year. Yep, I'm supposed to go this year as well. So we'll see what happens. <sighs> I got a friend down there that's a, a bar owner there now, too, which will be even more fun. to go for Mardi Gras, too. I, I don't know if that's going to be happening. I'm half and half. Something tells me that uh, the good people of New Orleans are going to find a way. Uh, so it's masks will be the only item of clothing the people are wearing yeah, during right. Mardi Gras Mask this year. Masks and beads. 
Don't forget the beads. Just Don't beads. forget the yep. beads. <laughs> so the party in New Orleans is Mardi Gras-like uh, as Jackson is hailed as this, this Christ-like figure as he <laughs> enters the city. The celebrations are only continuing. I mean, they're boozing it up. They're having a great time. And then finally, word reaches them. Hey, dude, war's over, by the way, man. And it's totally got, tubular, bro. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, or to do a, a real New Orleans accent, it's it, uh, it, well, it's gonna be over now. It's, 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 yeah, everything is gonna be finished up. So, so it look like, hey, go Saints. <laughs> go Saints. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the word finally reached them that the Treaty of Ghent had been signed and the war had ended. Now, hilariously enough, James Madison, the egghead, the brilliant man, okay, in the White House, back in, uh, you know, uh, he's operating, I forget what he's operating out of, I think it's a nearby place in Maryland. Um, he is said to have learned of the victory at New Orleans at the end, the end of the war, within minutes of each other. That it's, uh, hey, the Treaty of Ghent got signed. Uh, we've decided to end the war here. That's great. Oh, fantastic news. By the way, Andrew Jackson just killed 2,000 British soldiers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what yeah. a tweet. What a tweet. Um, so these are fantastic here. These happens within minutes of each other. The war is effectively, this is the, the crazy part. So the American spin, you want to talk about a spin getting put on this. Again, uh, the History Channel won't talk about the invasions of Canada. The British documentaries we watch and the British uh, 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 things that we read definitely focus on the Americans being aggressive invaders, right? Which they were. Exactly. <laughs> so everybody looks bad in this war, and the treaty that they signed to finally end the war is effectively just a stalemate where they say, hey, so we decided that anything that was American prior to the war is going to be American, and anything that was British before the war, that's going to stay British. Okay? So... Uh, agree, right? And then right. the Everybody. politicians are sitting there like, let's take a photo. This is great. Everything's. And then the soldiers in the back are like, what the fuck did I just give up five years of my life for? Yeah, right. My right. friends died. <laughs> right. exactly. My friends died so Rhode Island could stay Rhode Island. Right. But, we invaded Canada for this. Yep, they got no part of it, and we, we never have. And Canada, uh, they're very proud of that, that they, they repelled an invasion, as are we proud, because Fort McHenry, one of the greatest places. I mean, I don't know if they're still open right now for COVID, but if you get a chance to get over to Fort McHenry, uh, one of the most awe-inspiring locations. I, right. I just get uh, right. fired up the whole time I'm there. I, I wanted to be on the ground uh, with the boys that day. That, uh, that's, I would highly recommend a visit to uh, Fort McHenry, because I remember watching that film, in that little auditorium before actually touring the fort and at the conclusion of that so you're getting all the background information from that little uh, video that they show you beforehand and then the side wall of the of the auditorium of this theater opens up there's um, a curtain. The curtain rolls yeah. back to a, a full glass wall that you're now looking at the flag flying over Fort McHenry. As they play the Star Spangled Banner and you sit there and then they say, by the way, there's uh, muskets available for sale in the gift shop. <laughs> and old, yeah, old KP is standing up on the, the, right. the ramparts. <laughs> the Star Spangled Banner is being sung by the Navy uh, Naval Academy Choir that if yeah. the hairs don't rise up on you to your you know there's something wrong with you i'm starting to wonder just as a casual side note chris did i want to join the military or was i slowly brainwashed into this <laughs> one family vacation at a time there you go but <laughs> telling you one trip to cabo my life might be completely different who knows but i uh, we should have took you to the magic kingdom then you would have been uh walking around for the rest of your so life. I didn't want to say this. I didn't want to say this because we're trying to wrap up here, but I do have to point out the one thing. The first time we do get down to the Magic Kingdom, Chris, do you want to guess where my father has us stay? Where do you guys stay? In uh, Mickey's Frontier Village. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. So, I don't know, KP. I'm starting to think you guys might like history. <laughs> so that's where we wound up staying. My favorite ride back then was uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, which I loved. And I loved, uh, I think it was Fort Wilderness or something like that they called it. But very cool stuff here. So uh, Jackson is a national hero right now. This is just in the wrap-up here. The war is over. Finally, the war is over. Yeah, actually, and the, the Treaty is of Ghent which was signed in, in Paris, was um, ratified by Belgium, the British right? on December 28th. Or Belgium? Okay. And then uh, January 8th is the Battle of New Orleans. So the British have already ratified the, the, the treaty, but uh, hey, so you lost another 2,000 guys. I was about to say, so like that, the later in that January, they're like, yeah. man, where did 2,000 of our troops go? Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, to, to put it in football terms, which I like to do because I think it's an easy way to break things down for people, and even the people who aren't sports fans can understand this reference, is that uh, effectively the game is a tie, right? But the last minute, the reason it's a tie is because the boys are marching down the field and the Americans are scoring a touchdown on a Hail Mary pass right. and just embarrassing the British on that one. So the British are like, well, we're not going to – obviously it's not going our way over there. Let's just get out of here, cut our losses, and move on. And then the Americans are like, and don't you come back here again unless you want another Taste stalemate. of Jackson's action? Come <laughs> action on. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on February 18th, finally, the Treaty of Ghent is uh, um, signed by the Americans. Woo! So the War of 1812 is officially, officially over on February the 18th. Well, Jackson's victory gives us a sense of national pride as well. Yeah. Okay. Even though we've accomplished none of our original goals with the war. So this is a big war. But an interesting thing here, this also does reconfigure the American military. So we start to get a little bit more aggressive on some stuff. We, we start to learn. You got to lose a couple of fights to learn how to win a couple of fights. And we then become one of the, the most powerful militaries on the planet because we borrow most of our ideas from the British. And the idea of a special relationship with the British is going to start to develop closer around like a Teddy Roosevelt time uh, period because um, it, it's a fun thing that, that now we consider you meet someone from the U.K. and you're just like, oh, I have so much in common with this person because, you know, we, we both love professional wrestling, some good drinking. They like football. We like real football. Um, <laughs> but it, you can get along with uh, people from the U.K. too. And, I, I you know, it's... It's a fun time to talk about stuff like that, too. So there is a special relationship with that that will be fostered um, from here. So that the, this is really kind of the end of the bad blood, if you will. And then now the, the opportunity for uh, – there's actually literally a time – this is known as the era of good feelings, post-war. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> better, better to get along – get along with your adversaries than uh, it is to be fighting those guys that uh, we have more things in common than we do differences exactly so, so right. at least we're not like those goddamn germans yeah <laughs> i'm teasing on that one but i do want to point out one thing here in our animal house type final recap where we like to show where all the major characters wind up uh james madison in the white house uh he is mostly remembered as one of the architects and the brain trusts of uh, a very important document known as the Constitution. So Washington, D.C. is slowly rebuilt, and now our wildly gorgeous capital uh, gets rebuilt. Andrew Jackson, who is a superstar at this point, would follow James Monroe and John Quincy Adams into the presidency. And the U.S. – by the way, I believe Andrew Jackson is the first American-born – I'm trying to remember how this one breaks down. Fact check me here if I'm wrong, guys. I want to be fact checked on this. There's, I believe there's something that Andrew Jackson is the first American-born person to hold the presidency who was never a British subject. 
I think that might be accurate. So double check me on that one. We could be wrong here. I'm willing to. Here's your homework. I'm willing to show you homework. <laughs> um, no, Stu Greenberg's going to have to get off the elliptical machine now and then friggin' <laughs> figure some stuff out. Stu's the best on that one here. Um, but I also do uh, I want to say thank you so much to all the, uh, the, the patrons that are checking out the show here. But as we're wrapping up, um, other people that are going to wind up holding the, uh, the, the White House here. Andrew Jackson will become the president, and he's one of the most prolific presidents for good and for bad. Um, he's going to have to follow the presidency, though. Uh, first, a guy had, by the name of James Monroe, the Secretary of State for Madison, is going to hold the office. And then John Quincy Adams, who I believe is either a cousin or a nephew of John Adams. So you got a lot of this uh, in-house thing here. Andrew Jackson is credited as being one of the first guys that really makes the presidency the office of the people, that he was a, a commoner, if you will, that he wasn't, this is no landowner, okay, this is no, uh, you know. Virginia aristocrat. Exactly. This boy is uh, from the backwoods, if you will, and he was, uh, he was a man of the people. Chased down his own assassin, by the way, his own would-be assassin. The guy tried to shoot at him, and Andrew Jackson chased him with a cane. That's a true story. Wow. Yeah, uh, he was very complicated legacy. Has a city in Florida named after him called Jacksonville, where I'll be spending the next two months. Um, going back to my, my Navy roots, if you will, for a little bit. And I'll be doing a lot more history and stuff down there. Very underrated history town there and St. Augustine. So there is going to be great more content to come here. Um, now, it's important to mention also that uh, our own identity as a nation is really formed after this. So we, we're, we're the fledgling nation of the United States, the colonies, as they're still being referred to sarcastically by the British and some of the other places. We're getting a little bit of recognition now. Okay, this is maybe, maybe these guys are going to make this weird experiment work. The seeds are sown, and this era of good feelings ushers into American politics. And after all, like I said, uh, a guy who, you know, if a man like Andy Jackson, who claims to be born in a log cabin, can now be the president of the United States, then maybe... Maybe America is, in fact, legitimately a land of opportunity. We so, might be ready for a reality star. That's a <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Unfortunately, I think they're all reality stars now. That's the problem. It's, uh, and that is criminally – by the way, I, I, and just in wrapping up here, is there anything else you have to say to the folks? No, I was just going to say that uh, I know we, this went long. I mean, when we originally thought, well, for the Patreon episode, we're going to do the War of 1812. I mean, how much can there be to the War of 1812? And personally, I, yeah, I knew about, well, they burned Washington. The British burned Washington, so that happened during the War of 1812. And we had the defense of Baltimore with Francis Scott Key for our national anthem. Uh, and Andy Jackson kicked some ass in, in New Orleans. But I really didn't have a whole lot more than that. But when you really started scratching at this, the things, the, the, the events that occurred during the War of 1812 really set ourselves apart as a nation and proved ourselves as a nation that this wasn't just some this uh, grandiose idea with George Washington and a couple of those clowns that, uh, um, you know, we're going to have this free and democratic nation, that this really laid the groundwork for the future endeavor with Madison then going ahead with the Constitution and everything else. So this is, this is the, the foundation of our nation. Uh, and the War of 1812 was its, uh, its time under fire, if you will. Much like ourselves. building a house, this is uh, laying the, the foundation of something that, uh, hey, we bought the property, big exciting moment. Now it's time to do some of the work in the basement and build up the structure. But uh, I, I do got to say a couple things uh, in summation here as we're on our way out. Lawrence Patrick Burke, some of your best research on this episode. Fantastic work, sir. Okay. Well, and by the way, for a guy to do this with uh, during uh, having minor surgery to have an impacted uh, wisdom tooth removed, so, yeah, no one knew that. He, he didn't skip a beat here. 
All right. And uh, by the way, also does not take pain pills for it. I'm very confused by you on that one. Well, it's but probably because maybe that's why there's so much drool on the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, you're saving all your pain pills for that Alice in Chains tribute band concert you're going to go see. There you go. Rock on. That's right. <laughs> um, and again, I want to say thank you so much uh, to Chris. Chris, dude, uh, you were. I wanted to bring you back on just for the consistency of the show here. Yeah. Means a lot to us that you gave up part of your morning here. I know you got a big day ahead of you, uh, so I want to say thank you. We held you a little bit late. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk off air about throwing you some cash here for this. Um, I'm very appreciative of that. Mike and Ming, thank you for opening up the studio to us. As always, it means a lot to us. The Patreon listeners, the founding f- uh, losers, you guys really are. Uh, it, it blows. We've lost a couple people along the way. We've gained a couple of more. We're keeping our numbers consistent. And by the way, if you're a listener and you stop donating to the show or whatever, I understand. I'm grateful for any penny you've ever given this show. The whole idea was that in order to be able to have the studio time to do this show on the regular, Mike and Ming take great care of us. They do work with us on stuff on this here, but it is still a studio that they're trying to make a business off of, right? So, uh, and because of that, I'm able to bring my dad in, and we're able to do what we do best, which is the writing and the presenting part of this. I can't do shit for audio recording. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. I need a Kahuna. I need a Chris in my life. I need a Ming in my life, okay? These are the people I need. Zapsic, he's just a good guest to fuck around with. <laughs> Zapsic really just gets paid in cigars on this show. But uh, no, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for everybody over. Uh, if you guys, because I'm going to be gone for about two months, but if you guys are looking to start a podcast in the New Jersey area and you want people that are going to make it very easy to do, uh, Shared Universe Podcast Studio is going to go ahead and uh, make it as easy as possible for you. So all that being said, thank you again to Chris behind the ones and twos. Fantastic job today. Great, uh, Honestly, great guest. Fun guy to talk to as well. So, uh, you know, definitely. uh, Again, Kahuna is extremely threatened by you. So I will say this: When Kahuna came in for uh, the, the, our most recent episode, you've never seen him more on the money because he was just like, oh, "Okay, yeah, right, 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 right. oh, 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 yeah." Yeah, he's, he's uh, hearing footsteps. Yeah, he's hitting the reps in practice. He's uh, he he understands. He's Carson Wentz. Understand that Jalen Hurts might be getting the start this week. A Philadelphia Eagles reference for you, but uh, and Dad, again, thank you so much for your great research on this one. There are some great documentaries out there on the show uh, on, on that we used to do our research for the show. So if you wanted further learning, there is stuff available on Amazon Prime, uh, some cool things over on YouTube you can check out. But do me a favor. Uh, episodes of American Loser are now up on YouTube. So if you guys even want to just click like on those things, maybe subscribe to, uh, subscribe to the KP Burke or American Loser channel page. Uh, that definitely helps us out. The American Loser Facebook page is up. The American Loser Instagram is up. Where, by the way, the Instagram page is where I announce the topics of the episode ahead of time. So if you guys want to have a leg up or know immediately when something's available, boom, that's how you do it. Check me out over at, at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram. KP Burke over on Facebook. I have some Southern tour dates that are going to be coming up. I can't plug them just yet. This episode is going to be coming out. I'm going to ask Chris to send me this file before we leave today so that I can put it up once I get home. Which means, if you guys are hearing this and you live in the New Jersey area, there's a awesome rock club called Dingbats. You ever play over there, Chris? Damn right I played Dingbats. So, damn right Chris Mad has played Dingbats. <laughs> and, uh, again, plug your band real fast. Oh, man, Serious Matters NJ for all you lovely people out there. You can type in Serious Matters NJ in Google, and you will literally find, like, eight pages of us. There's a solid band, too. I have heard and, and dug some of their tracks, man. All of that being said, too, I will be at Dingbats on December 18th and 19th, opening up for my friends Don Jameson and Jim Florentine. We're going to be doing a little comedy show. That is my last show uh, for New Jersey for the foreseeable future here, guys. I'll be coming back up in March because my sister's got to get married again because, ugh, you know? Well, it's a renewal of the vows yeah. due to COVID that, uh, you know, 
part one was <laughs> it's a two-parter it's a <laughs> so we yeah. got married in, in part one and now we're having the uh, celebration if yeah you will, in the part patreon two. portion of their wedding will be taking place That's in right. march so but no i'm going to be skedaddling down to uh, florida we are still going to be putting out content on the regular uh mink's going to be working with us on some zoom stuff and some stream yard stuff so that dad and i'll be able to talk to each other here uh, i'm also going to be able to put out some single episodes and more video content i'm really really going in on the youtube thing guys i taught myself how to do a little bit of editing uh, I had my eight-year-old little cousin teach me how to do it. So, <laughs> there you go. You know, that's how it works. But, guys, uh, thank you so much for the support here. Do me a favor. Follow us on those things. If you can't support the show monetarily anymore, maybe things are hitting you with COVID or the holidays are getting a little bit crazy, that's fine. Totally let me know. I need your addresses so I can mail this shit out before I go down to Florida, though, because once I go down to Florida, I can't be doing that. So get it to me before Christmas time frame if you can. We'll put those bad boys in the mail, and the United States Postal Service will take care of the rest. But... Uh, again, the YouTube channel is where the impetus of all this stuff is going to be going on. That's where we're going to continue to grow the show. It means a lot to me. And, uh, guys, I, I love you. I love the founding losers. You guys are the reason why we're able to do what we're doing here because I was taking a financial hit for this. I was losing about a paycheck a month when I was doing my excavation career. And excavation went away, okay? Yeah. A lot of things went away. Comedy's gone away. So I'm going to be down in uh, St. Augustine in the Jacksonville area doing as much as I can to keep the content rolling in. Old South Beach Larry will be doing some good research, reading some books and whatnot. And, guys, I want to say thank you again one final time. It does mean the world to us. Um, you guys have been with us since day one, and if you're new to it, uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it. And uh, the fact that we have a fan base already for this show means the world to me, honest to God. So thank you very much. There will be uh, a, I'm going to promise them now because we know it's happening, your episode for the month of December, because this is not your Patreon for the month of December. If you ever wanted to fully understand John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, that will be the Patreon topic for this month. So we'll see. Maybe we'll have Chris in here for it. Maybe we'll have the Kahuna in here for it. Maybe Ming Chen himself will be in here for it. Maybe Al McPherson. I don't know. Maybe John Brown. Maybe John Brown himself. <laughs> John Brown of <laughs> Liza Muldrin in the grave. But. Yep. John Brown of the Buffalo Bills, wide receiver. Um, but anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much for everything that you guys do. Uh, I apologize that this had to be in two parts, but we did not want to just skip over some shit for you. So this was the deep dive. I feel like this was Patreon worthy. You will still get an episode of Patreon for this one. And guys, if you ever get a chance to meet Tristan Vidrero, um, please remind him that uh, not all commentary on the show has to be a complaint. Okay? <laughs> I'm teasing. That kid's one of my best friends on planet Earth. He will be coming back in as a guest once COVID's all wrapped up. Chris Mad, you're the man, dude. Mike and Ming, thank you so much. Lawrence Patrick Burke, I happen to love you like a father. All right? <laughs> I happen to like you, love you like a son. Like you like a son or love That's, you like a son? Either way. Well, I'll say this, guys. Uh, my name was K.P. Burke, and that was the often misunderstood and criminally underreported uh, upon War of 1812, American Loser. <laughs>